Hi, Anthony here from the pod. Wanted to introduce you to my brand new podcast, Out for a Walk. We've mentioned it once or twice on the podcast and we thought we'd put one on the IMP feed. So if you enjoy it, you can subscribe on all the usual places, Out for a Walk. It's really different to the Independent Music Podcast, but uh, I hope you enjoy it. I've enjoyed doing it. Thanks. Hello and welcome to Out for a Walk. This is the first episode of a brand new podcast hosted by me, Anthony Chalmers. Every week we're going to be going for a walk somewhere new, taking all the sounds and hopefully learn something about the area. To introduce myself, I'm a London concert promoter and co-host of the Independent Music Podcast, which has gone past its 300th episode. I've always been interested in nature, history and outdoor type stuff, but I've never had this sort of time on my hands before. You can imagine how much work there's been for a concert promoter this year. A lot of friends have really enjoyed the photos from all the walks I've been doing, and I've done a lot of walking in the last six months. So I thought I'd try something new and see if I could make a podcast out of it. I've had the help of producer Sarah Nickel, who has put all of this together, and our music is Wildflowers from Fatin Kanan. For our first walk, we're heading down to the southernmost tip of London, getting the train to Coulson Town Station, and from there to Farthing Downs and the Happy Valley. Farthing Downs is a large strip of chalk grassland, overlooking London high above the valley. It has a long, thin strip of ancient woodland running on the side, leading into the larger Devil's Den woods. Next to that is the Happy Valley. Farthing Downs has been inhabited since Neolithic times, and there are archaeological finds that show farming there through the Ice Age and Roman times. There are also 16 Anglo-Saxon burials, which aren't the easiest to see, but you can spot them. In spring and summer, it's full of wildflowers and butterflies, including some that aren't widespread in the UK at all. But today, it's October, and it's a rainy autumn day, and we have a lot more chance of finding a good haul of mushrooms than many wildflowers. So, from the start at Farthing Down, we're going to go through Devil's Den Woods to the village of Chaldon, which has an 11th century church with a wonderful mural. Then we're going to curve around and make our way through Farthing Downs, heading towards London. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Before we start the first episode, I just want to caveat that I'm not a historian or an ecologist, and some of the areas I'm sure people know a lot better than me. So I might say something wrong, but I'll endeavour to be as right as I can. And if I get something wrong, feel free to get in touch and let me know, but please don't shout at me, I'm just starting. So we've just arrived in Farthing Down on a pretty wet and misty day. You can hear the sounds of the Sussex cattle that are grazing just on the other side of the field. Chalklands like this don't maintain themselves without anything grazing them. It will just become forest and scrubland. And with, without too many of our native grazers, when you're looking after land like this, they bring sheep and cattle in to keep it how it is, because the chalkland has such a variety of wildlife. You can see the track coming up down the middle, Ditches Lane it's called. It's got the remnants of the uh, Iron Age and late Neolithic farming. You can see in the, the ruts coming up the side, and magpies flying around. We're going to walk up the valley here for a bit, and then we take a left into the woodland, the very start of Devil's Den Woods, where we'll do a few miles through there before going over to the church in Chaldon circling around to take in all of Farthing Down on the way back. If we were walking here in the spring or the summer, it's a wonderful place for wildflowers with uh, the greater yellow rattle found here, one of only a few locations in the UK. When I was here a couple of weeks ago, there were still a few hanging around, so I'm hoping that we'll see some the little purple field scabious. I've got some lovely mushrooms over here. I've really only started to learn about identifying mushrooms and I've picked mushrooms here a couple of times. I have no idea what these are, but they're very pretty. 
looks a little like a chestnut mushroom you might find in a supermarket but with a long stem and a little skirt and a brown top. I'll have a look at my mushroom identifying app, see if it can do anything. <laughs> and see as we walk up the side here with the woodland to our left, little oak trees just from this year or uh, sort of growing up maybe eight inches high. You can really see how, if left to its own devices, the, the meadow chalkland doesn't last for long. These trees would be up in no time, hawthorn bushes and blackthorn with some slows on it. As we pass, just coming in, in fact, there's another blackthorn bush just there to our left with some slows in it. I've picked some slows for hopeful slow gin, but I haven't actually started yet. So we've come in to the start of the woodland that runs parallel with Farthing Down with a happy valley further along to our left. It's a beautiful yew corridor stretching out in front of us. Yew trees are hard to date and I couldn't find exactly how old this forest was. Although I could, might need to look at some old maps of the area to see if and when it was still there. But we can say that these trees are two to three hundred years old minimum. So gives you an idea of how long it's been here. Yew trees are amongst my favourite trees, can live up for thousands of years in the right conditions. Nearly all of them is extremely poisonous, but yet some of the bark is used for medicine. And one of our most widely used cancer drugs is developed from the bark of yew trees. You see this bare forest floor underneath because as the pine needles fall, it's not, not many things can grow there. As trees get older, um, the inside of the tree, the heartwood, which is not the living part of the tree, can rot away. And as yews go 500, 1,000 years old, the inside of the trunk, the oldest bit with the oldest rings, is long since decayed and gone. So if you're thinking about using rings to date the trees, that's not really doable when it comes to an old yew. So often what they use for dating is a historical record. <laughs> when was it mentioned? There's a, there's a famous one where there's a tree built next to a Saxon church. And it was quite clear that the church built in AD 900 approximately was built with the roots of the tree already in mind. You could see the bricks were laid around it. So they knew minimally it was before that. The famous yew tree of Scotland, Pontius Pilate, the Roman uh, in charge of Britain at the time, had a meeting under there and they knew when he was there. So you could say, okay, it's at least 2000 years old and it was a big tree then. So gives you some idea. a few nice bird calls around here but the forest is quite dense so it's not the easiest place to actually spot anything
anything about this woodland without being here. You might think that we're in a, a huge sprawling wood, but actually we are in a very thin yew corridor. You have the farthing down to our right, five meters away, and you can see the hill slopes down to people's gardens, just 10 or 15 meters to our left. No doubt it was a lot bigger at some point in the past. But I feel happy that we've got this bit that we have. And some people are lucky to have some little gates just opening onto the woodland there. Wouldn't mind one of those houses myself. We've got some badger sets here to our right. Don't know if they're in use. Likely they haven't seen a badger in a little bit, although you definitely do get plenty of badgers around these parts. This U corridor, before it gets to the slightly wider woodland, is about two miles long, three, three, three and a half kilometers, three kilometers for our non-English listeners. And then the woodland stretches on for a couple of miles past that before it goes into farmland. This was all farmland, at least in the Happy Valley to our left, up until the 70s, in which it was got by Croydon Council to be the, I call it a nature reserve, but actually it's not a listed nature reserve for some reason. And its official name is the Happy Valley Park, but uh, it's definitely not what you would call a park. Not that it really matters a lot. Hope you're enjoying all the bird noises around us here. As I said, the forest is quite thick, but we can hear some crows and maybe a robin somewhere in the in the yew next to us. Also some beech trees. Further along there's some glorious huge beech trees and some large holly as well. This is the part of the U corridor where we start to see some more trees come through, including some big established hollies here with smaller. You normally associate hollies with these uh, bushes of thorny leaves, but they can also grow fairly old and quite big. Sometimes as I was walking in Epping Forest last week, they can really take over areas, but that's not what you see here as the U canopies covering and the poisonous needles. But uh, as the holly grows bigger, you can see up and the leaves aren't actually spiky anymore. My guess is they lost the spikes as they grew higher, as they weren't under risk of grazing anymore. Yeah, nice old tree here, sort of foot and a half in circumference at least. The first of the ash trees to see here on the right, just a young ash, I don't know, maybe 30, 50 years old or something. We've lost lots of our old ash trees to the recent blight, but there's still a handful of tall veteran ash trees further on in the forest. The more ash trees we've lost, the more, the more affinity I felt for them. It wasn't really a tree that uh, I ever felt too strongly about, but now when I see a big old ash tree, it feels like a survivor. passing some old chicken of the woods. It's a type of edible mushroom, often grows on yew trees. It's quite tasty without being delicious. Apparently it's got the texture of chicken, although I ate quite a lot of it earlier in the summer. And while I enjoyed it, I didn't, I didn't quite get the chicken myself. It's a perfectly good edible, but as it grows on yew trees, as this one we see here, uh, you have to be careful because if you eat a little bit of the yew bark or a little twig that's caught in it, you don't want to be chewing on that. This one here is well past season here. You wouldn't want to be chewing on this crumbly old mushroom anyway, but uh, might, we might see some, some pretty mushrooms later on. And I've got my mushroom basket here with one nice mushroom in it. I'm hoping to find lots more. Just past a tree that I, I could be mistaken, but I think it's fallen since I was last here, which was only a couple of weeks ago. 
hard to see what it is. It's nearly all of it is covered as it's fallen into the forest, but it's on the edge of a slope and it's hard for the roots to cling on sometimes. And it's exposed. Some lovely ash trees here to our left, just on, on the edge of the forest. Yeah, let's see some King Alfred's cakes just at the bottom there, the round black mushroom, allegedly because it resembled King Alfred's baking. I'm not sure that story is a real one, but it's a, it's a funny one anyway. Beautiful sounds of the wind here, and that's because of, we've come to two huge, beautiful beech trees. The first ones in this part of the woods, likely a similar age, to the use but the beaches they grow a lot faster and a lot higher and they are certainly the kings and queens of this part of the woods. The sound of the wind in the beech trees is beautiful and the way the light comes through the leaves is lovely. As we stand under the beech trees there's a, a, a pretty nice clearing with a really young yew growing here and wondering why that there's a young yew coming up and some space it's because we have a stump of an old old yew tree next to us beautifully gnarled and different colors of green and brown i've often felt that the yew the old yew resembles a, a really muscled leg or a bicep and this is you can see the heartwood rotting away in the middle but uh, yeah that's normal they come and they go and we can see a young you, I'm not sure, maybe as young as 10 or 20 years old, just growing here next to it, under the shadows of these beech trees. And when these beech trees die, the yew trees will get that much more light and grow for hundreds and hundreds of years longer. And then at some point, hopefully, the young baby beech trees that are growing around here will then grow above the yews that the yews will have all that sunlight that they've been taking in in reserves and the forest will, will carry on doing its thing. Sounds of two members of the crow family are common crow and also the jackdaw with its sort of jacking sound that you can hear. You get lots of those jackdaws around here. And as we go back into the valley, there's quite some linnets, which are lovely birds that I've only really seen here. Uh, might go kestrel hunting.
something's really got the jackdaws, crows and magpies excited here. Come to a little opening in the canopy where they're at the top of a at the top of, a, of an old yew tree. Got some bare branches at the top. Not sure, maybe it was a buzzard that spooked them. Maybe they're just, just talking. <laughs> very smart, very interactive, very social birds. Still passing yew after yew, including this beautiful old one, splitting into three trunks, all going out at some point in hundreds of years as this grows more the middle will die it'll go hollow in the middle and it'll nearly look like three trees are growing in the same spot but really it's all just one tree definitely one of the one of the prettiest views in this bit starting to come to the end of the yew corridor the canopy opens up and you can see where the farm ends and the happy valley starts steep hill going down and up to another part of the woodland over the other side if we were coming here in the spring and the summer as I said there's a lovely walk to go down there and up the other side where you can see the variety of wildflowers that you get here I've seen pyramidal orchids and common orchids but you also get bee orchids and the man orchid which are very rare, but I've never personally seen them. But I've never done a walk only looking sort of for the orchids. Maybe now I've been here 10 times and probably 20 times by next spring. I can uh, yeah, just really just focus on one patch of grass and see what I can find. Because it says in what I was reading about here that you may have 10 to 20 of these orchids here every year. Um, that's a lot of grass and a very few small flowers. You'd never guess coming through the forest, but as we've come out, you can see misty rain coming across. It's, it's really quite a beautiful day in its own way. It's not cold, just a little light wind and misty rain. Looking out here across the top of the forest in the valley, we're in the first few weeks of autumn and the trees have started to turn. We've got a... Oops, I was wondering what kind of bird that was, but... We've got oranges, browns, and all shades of green. It's not, it's not quite the perfect time, probably a couple of weeks, and you'll really see everything changing here. But still, with the mist hovering over the trees and the light rain, it is a beautiful time to be here. I'm generally quite a, a summer person myself. I know that not all listeners are. I prefer it when it's a bit cooler, but I myself am quite happy when it's very, very hot. But still, doesn't get a lot better than this. So we're now through most of the U, and we're getting towards the end of this bit before we go into the larger part of the forest. But we see here the first of the coppices in the area. Coppicing is an old, an old technique of where the people used to come every some years and chop the trees down to take the wood for cooking, for fires, but uh, not to kill them, but just to cut them back. And when they grow back, they grow back not as one trunk, but as, as many trunks. So as we look at these beech trees around us and the rain is starting to come through, I'm sure you can hear, um, we see dozens and dozens of trunks sticking out. This is um, actually makes the trees live longer than they would. It's not really harmful to them and was done in a sustainable, way. Quite pretty to look at now. When I was learning about the Great North Wood, which is the woodland that covers much of South London, where I live in Forest Hill, of which only a small amount remains, the woodland was actually, was there intact all through much of the Industrial Revolution. And when it was really cut back, was South London was expanding in population, but also importantly coal was invented and people didn't need the wood anymore. Previously, if you would have cut down the Great North Wood, the population of the area would have starved. They would have had nothing to cook with. But uh, since they didn't need it anymore, they were like, who needs this woodland? And down it went, a lot of it. 
Luckily, we still have remaining the large tract of Dulwich and Sydenham Woods, some of which was cut down, but it has since grown back when the train line was abandoned around there. And I intend to walk through Sydenham Woods on one of the later podcasts. Just a little bit into the woodlands on the left, we've got a nice little find. It's the shell of a Roman snail, some of which I've seen uh, live ones uh, around a bit further on in the woodlands. The Roman snail is the largest snail in the United Kingdom. It was brought over by the Romans for eating, um, hence the name. But uh, now it's actually a protected species and you're not allowed to disturb at all a Roman snail, let alone try to cook one. Yeah, lovely white brown shell maybe this isn't the biggest one I've seen but when you see one full talking about maybe four or five times as big as the kind of snails you're used to seeing maybe it's nice and wet maybe the snails are going to be out and we can see a live one later looking more around the area I found this Roman snail although this shell is intact we see lots of broken snail shells a snail graveyard as well as some rocks here and what that tells me normally is that a thrush has been feeding here. They smash the snail shells on uh, rocks and then to eat them in my local wood, Dacres Wood. You see a lot of that. We've now walked the full distance of the farthing down through to the end. A path goes left down to the Happy Valley, which is a lovely walk, but a lovely walk for another time. We're going to stick to the right-hand side and go through some more woodland some much larger older woodland with bigger beaches and huge ashes and a much better place for finding mushrooms my favorite spot around here and there's a family of tree creepers that uh, i've seen about half the time i've been there so hopefully i can get lucky because the little little tree mice are uh, a favorite bird see dozens of crab apples on the ground extremely bitter if you just eat them which I have tried to many times when I go for walks I, I like to just sort of eat things even though I know in my heart of hearts they probably don't taste good but just to give it a go and crab apples are incredibly bitter but you can make crab apple jelly from it as well we've got a lovely hawthorn just next to us which the berries I have taken to eating and the leaves are edible too they don't taste that great to be honest but at least it's reasonably palatable it tastes a lot better than some of the things you find i would say it tastes a bit like a completely bland apple but i think i'm being maybe a little nice to it because <laughs> they, they are tiny berries the whole berries um but uh yeah doesn't yeah the fact that it tastes of more or less nothing makes it uh, better than most of the berries that you'll find on a walk like this Coming back into the forest, past Farthing Down, into the sort of the real heart of the Devil's Den Woods, there is one of my favourite trees right at the opening bit of it, and a beautiful big ash, the biggest ash around here. And we can see here quite some birds hanging around here. Oh, we've got a little robin here right above our heads, hello. Went into the holly bush and over. And uh, yes, hopefully it's keeping healthy. I'm not 100% all the indicators of ash dieback. I've been told you've got to look for sort of triangular marks near where the branches come out. But um, this tree is thick with ivy and you can't see too many marks on the trunk whatsoever. But I hope that that is a happy ash tree because of, yeah, it's a beautiful tree and it feels like a, a marker for the start of this part of the woodland.
coming to a part of the woods where I've had the most luck picking mushrooms. I picked a ton of honey fungus from here a couple of weeks ago, made into a lovely omelette, but uh, all of them seem to, be, seem to be long gone. Maybe we'll have more luck somewhere else. We've got lovely ash trees here with moss and ivy growing up the trunk. Ivy can get a bit of a bad rep and uh, I'm sure it's not all great for the trees. It does take up some of their light and they uh, could burrow in to take some sugars as well, I think. But um, they flower later than most everything else. They flower at this time of year in late September into October and they're a vital source of food for bees and other pollinating insects at this time of year. When I was walking in Amberley a couple of weeks ago, we saw tens if not hundreds of thousands of bees swarming on these ivy as we went along. Definitely gave me a new appreciation for them. Walking under the base, the mossy bases of these huge beech trees, are, I think 40 or 50 foot tall. I see some remainder of the honey fungus that I picked here a couple of weeks ago. Um, honey fungus is one amongst the largest organisms in the world. There's some at the bottom of the hill here and some at the top and probably that's all the same mushroom underground spreading around but it's, it's looking a little old for picking here. And there's one other mushroom that I can't exactly identify and since it's mushrooms I'm certainly not going to risk it so just going to leave it be and carry on strolling. Just on the edge of the path here we have really lovely little spiny puffball. I'm not sure, I haven't seen too many of them, I'm not sure if it's an edible or not. But anyway, these ones are too young for picking anyway, even if they were, I'm still going to leave them to it. Don't see too many mushrooms about with this distinctive spiky top just growing out of a, a branch that's fallen out of a yew tree here at some point, I think. We've come out into the valley, we've come out, if you turn around and you look at where we've come out, it's just a dark, black corridor into the forest and I feel that it looks like something out of a out of a fantasy novel and we've got a, a few people walking their dogs and stuff around here now we are right in the happy valley this was um, farmland up until the 1970s and it was given over to Croydon Council and has now been a place just for nature and uh, it's just been sort of cut back and if you can see over on the hill there it's got some sheep grazing because of if you just say nothing grazing, nothing cut back, all of this will be forest in no time at all. And walking here in the spring and the summer is more wonderful wildflowers than you can imagine. And I look forward to talking about this space again. Only birds we have flying above us here is a half a dozen pigeons and I see a crow on the other side, but I'm sure we're gonna see some other types of birds as we go along. I've got a different type of bird straight in front of us, but it is a little too far away for me to tell my, my binoculars are in my bag because I was worried about them making a sound on my microphone. This is our first podcast, so we're, we're experimenting and we're finding out what's going to work and what's not. But the trees on the opposite side of the valley here are absolutely beautiful. Uh, coming into autumn, the ash and the hawthorn and oak and all the rest, absolutely glorious. We're going to carry on to the end of the valley and we're going to take a right back through the forest briefly and then we're going to go and visit a thousand year old church with a very famous wall mural which um, I think you'll like. Walking up the path here from the valley to the church the path is absolutely coated with acorns and beech nuts. I recently read the book uh, The Hidden Life of Trees. That was a really interesting book and he talks about how they don't fall evenly every year, about how some years, every three, four, five years, they will grow nuts like crazy. And apparently the reason for this is how they've evolved with the deer and the boar eating all the nuts. If they drop evenly every year, all of them just get eaten. But if they use them sparingly in some years and then loads in one year every so often, what he calls a mast year, um, they will have more chance of surviving because of the boar and the deer cannot eat them all. But no boar or deer, well, some deer around here, I have seen deer, but not many. And uh, so plenty of nuts to go around.
apparently when it's time for a big year for the seeds, uh, the trees can actually speak to each other uh, to let them know, the other ones know that this is a year that they're going for it. Well, that's what it covers in the book. Anyway, turns out that the forest is far more in communication than we ever thought that they were via the connected roots and fungal networks underground connecting them and uh, all sorts of stuff like that that the forest supports and talks to each other so they all know when it's a year when they should really go for it and that's what we're getting here I hope you can hear some of the sounds of it So we've come out the back of the forest next to the Happy Valley and we're now just walking down the Ditches Lane which is a tarmac road for cars to come down to the church in Chaldon Village. Chaldon Village is the next village along really from Coulston in this direction and the Church of St Peter and St Paul is definitely one to visit if you're coming here. Sort of a, it's a reasonable loop you can make that takes it in. Walking down the road here, I mentioned earlier in uh, the podcast about how ivy flowers late. And we have got a huge ivy here and it is absolutely covered. It is absolutely covered with honeybees, wasps, hoverflies, small bumbles, all sorts and I, I can hear it from here, and I see Sarah's got the microphone nice and close, so I'm thinking that you're probably gonna get a really good sound of all of these here. So ivy might give some of the trees a bit of a hard time, but an invaluable source of food in the autumn for pollinators. So coming from the road, we pass a little sign saying Chaldon 1086 and a little triangle of wooded grassy plain. There isn't really any houses around here. There's uh, some houses a little further up the lane here and some quite big posh houses on the other side, but not much of a little village high street. I guess it did at some point, but what remains here is this beautiful church the Church of St Peter and St Paul, built in 1086. A large part of the original church survives with some 12th and 13th century parts and a I think 19th century spire that was rebuilt after the old one was damaged, maybe by lightning. See some yew trees coming in, not particularly old ones and a nice yew on the side of the church, but it's not one of those yews that predates the church or anything. Probably this church had been here a couple of hundred years before that tree. At the very least, got some beautiful graves in memory of Henry Ernest Wetherall. For 20 years, the church chaplain. I wonder if that is any, any relation to the late great Andrew Weatherall, who just passed away this year. All right, let's go inside. Have we got any? Oh, is this working? Oh, it's got a foot thing.
So walking in to the church, just a beautiful small church, maybe sits about 60 people. Stained glass window on the far side above the altar and lovely ancient baptismal font here just on the left hand side. But uh, what you see most in the church that jumps out is this amazing mural in red uh, paint uh, done apparently by a travelling artist monk around 1200. It was painted over in the Reformation uh, as something that was not appropriate for the new style of church for Britain uh, and was only rediscovered in the 1850s uh, by decorators who were repairing the place. So we actually have in one tiny example the Reformation to thank for uh, something in these churches instead of destroying them. It was done by the monk as an aid to teaching. You know, they were not particularly literate at this time and certainly not for the Bible. And this was supposed to teach you about uh, the ladder from heaven to hell and uh, uh, demons and angels and the basic teachings of Jesus. And it is very cartoony, horned demons and flames and spikes and torture and the tree of life and uh, uh, naked angels and it is a it is a very unusual and wonderful thing and we're we're very lucky that it's still here and I try to uh, I try to come and look at it when I do for a walk in the area even though it does it is maybe a mile mile and a half out the way from maybe the nicest nature parts As we pass towards the altar, we have the graves of a few of the reverence of the church. Thomas Broad, 1738, and George Piggott, 1760. Just before we leave this beautiful church, you see here that they have a list of the rectors of Chaldon from William of Almetto in 1304, all the way through to Colin John Luke Boswell of 1985 who seems has us covered now, been in the job for 35 years. I love these uh, lists of stuff. In fact, I see here George Piggott that uh, we just talked about his burial, his grave just over there. So yeah, these things, if you're in a job, that can, uh, you can trace your job back there for fully 700 years, uh, something quite special. Walking around the outside of the church, we can see that it's made of flint and mortar. And uh, when you walk through the fields on the way from here back to Farthing Down that we're going to go, you see piles and piles of flint. So it's all made from local materials. And in Neolithic times, as I understand it, flint was more or less the currency, as that's what they made all the stone tools out of. And um, if that's the case, well, you're a very rich group sitting here on a piles and piles of it and this we've got him right in front of us the Chaldon Cairn it's built by the people of the area it says here we built this cairn on lost species day 2019 after a requiem service to raise awareness of the many species eradicated by human activity and it's a pile of flint and stones here in the form of a cairn a cairn is a a stone mound, often with earth on top of it, that was used as a burial in Neolithic times. So nothing is buried underneath here, but it's symbolic of the death of species. We're now gonna swing back and walk through some fields and the road to take us to the top of Farthing Down, the very uh, edge of it, and then we're gonna walk all the way across the Chalkland, the mile or two, running parallel with the U corridor we did at the start, and we can take in what we have there. But we've probably got, we've probably got half an hour's walk to take us back there.
we've just come back into the Happy Valley and I was just speaking to Sarah about how when I was here a couple of weeks ago there's a few more of the wildflowers still left but they more or less seem to be totally gone now and then we just passed the here a really lovely greater yellow rattle which is a rare wildflower which this area is known for just on the Wikipedia it says it only grows in six places in the UK I think it's more common in some other places in Europe and around the world but around here you won't see them very often they've got a lovely little yellow flower I often think it looks a bit like a sort of a bottom of a hockey stick or something but they're called the rattle because it also looks a bit like a rattle I think <laughs> um, and yeah love sort of spiky green leaves six or seven inches high something like that yes yeah, so it looks like we've caught one of the caught one of the last of them so coming through the valley just before we get back to the forest we've got a kestrel hunting just 15 20 meters ahead of us they have a very distinctive way of hunting where they stand they fly completely uh, level just flapping in one spot to look down they tend to hunt voles but they can also hunt any small rodent uh, i think even large insects if they're hungry it's a small bird of prey much smaller than a buzzard the one of the smallest you get regularly i've seen a lot of them around south london this year so i hope they're having an excellent year don't know how many voles there are but <laughs> i hope there's plenty of mice and small rats and stuff and hopefully they're getting used to going at them <laughs> we just passed hundreds and hundreds of little mushrooms growing on a tree stump i thought it was honey fungus but it doesn't quite have the skirt and it's a slightly different color so not going to risk it joining my uh, my my basket of tasty mushrooms but then we've got some glistening ink caps growing on a little yew here a dead yew branch lovely white mushroom with a sort of slimy slimy top yeah nice and here look at these gills as the ones growing older here it's very distinctive lovely gills but I uh, haven't been looking for the mushrooms so much on this trip but we've definitely seen some nice ones the trees are really turning here in this part of the forest we've got some uh, what tree is it we've got horse chestnut here really turning before the other ones and a scots pine above us and a big ash just behind that but you can see the horse chestnuts are turning a little bit before the other ones and it's simply where we were walking before didn't really have so many chestnut trees but you can see the conkers here joining the acorns sea of bronze red leaves underfoot with a, a whole load of much younger ash trees to the on our right hand side here gives us some hope of some new ash forests here to replace all the trees that we've lost so here we go we've about seven miles in or so to the walk and we've come out of the woodland we're out of the valley and we are here at the top of Farthing Down it is a several mile long several hundred acre chalk meadow with you can see the city of London in the distance some I guess 10-12 miles away beautiful place for wildflowers and some birds as I mentioned at the start you get linnets here lovely little bird but we're here in autumn and it's not the best time for the butterflies or the flowers but there's still plenty to see and talk about I've got a helicopter flying above I mean hopefully you can still hear what I'm saying um, yeah so we're gonna walk through here down through these fields that have been farmed since the Neolithic times we've got some Anglo-Saxon burials hopefully gonna see some nice birds let's see what we get on the home stretch back home the type of cow that they have up here is a Sussex cattle it's a sort of nice docile breed chestnut ready color here to keep the place grazed you heard lots of them when we just came in I think they're on the other side a bit now but we'll be walking into them still some nice wildflowers around here little lovely little purple one 
we are here on a completely exposed highest part of the land in any direction and as a result you're getting quite a lot of wind so I will we might have some of this talk wind free later but I'm hoping at least you get an idea compared to what the wind has been up here it is actually pretty quiet we've got a track here just between us and I'm told that some of these lines are actually remnants of Saxon and pre that into the earlier times of carts for the farming so definitely in that passage that we have in the middle you can see it clearly I walked here many times without being able to find these Saxon burials but then when I came here a couple of weeks ago to make sure I was prepped for this I managed to find a couple so we'll go and find them here on our right is the first of the Saxon burials it's not really much to see apart from a sort of unnaturally round mound with a hole in it I said people have been living up here for thousands of years farming and even though at the time of the Saxons so we're talking about seven or eight hundred nine hundred AD there probably hadn't been anyone living up here for a while but they recognized this as a place of their ancestors a place that was high above where you could see the you could see your burial mound for a long around and they wanted to bury their ancestors around here and they're not so obvious but you can see a round mound with the dip in the middle that when the ground was lower hundreds of years ago it would have been a little bit of a hill and I've been read online that there are 16 such burials here blue skies are above as it's clearing up luckily for us now we're, we're walking completely exposed out of the woodlands but it's lovely and warm for a day in October it must be 15 or 16 degrees there's some beautiful trees ahead of us that I'm going to talk about when we get there it's sort of like a what I imagine is a marker tree for the area you know it's three four hundred years old at least you know if you were getting uh, heading up to London from the coast want to know that you were on the right track maybe if you were stopping before you weren't there in one of these uh, villages outside for the night before you came in to London in the morning a big tree with a sign next to it saying where you, where you were is exactly what you needed and this gnarled ancient beech tree is still right there doing its purpose letting, it's letting us know that we're reaching towards the end of our walk on the downs One of the burial mounds you can see really clearly is out on the north side because it's got a modern uh, sort of flint and mortar. I'm guessing it's modern, I'm pretty sure it's sort of a um, marker on it with a thing on top laying out where different things are. Two and a half kilometres to the Chowden Church where we just were, the lovely called Gravelly Hill six miles away and apparently this is on top of one of the burial mounds. It's not so obvious because it's uh, sunken over time but you can still get an idea of the sort of round look of it this would have been one of the grander ones right at the front as you come in an important Saxon person would have been buried there maybe maybe he's under our under our feet still and as we, we can now start to see Croydon, Coulston and as I said all the towers from the city coming ahead of us some, some chalk cliffs further on on our right as a sign of uh, some earlier mining that used to happen around here but we're now you should be able to, to really see the trunk of this tree because it's very windy up here it's not an easy place to be a tree let alone having uh, cows grazing but even under any circumstances and this one has clearly been here for a very long time So here we go at our lovely marker tree. It's a, it's a beech tree, but um, yeah, the, uh, the trunk is gnarled and knobbly. <laughs> Hello, cow. 
and we've got our cows just over there as well. It says here on the sign we've got Pearly in front of us, Chaldon behind us, Coulson on our right and Hooley to our left, a place that I haven't been but um, you can see it clearly we're, we're here on top of the hill and uh, yeah the cows are there doing their thing and we've got a little bit of traffic. I think that's probably a good time to leave you. Thank you so much for joining us for the walk here. I hope you've enjoyed it. We're going to be preparing. Uh, we're going to be preparing the next one where we're going to go walk to Kent, around Ainsford, a really nice place, some way east of here. We'll see you next time. There we go. That's the end of our first walk. Thank you so much for joining us for it. Just seconds after we turned off the microphone, a green woodpecker flew into the tree next to us. A beautiful sight. I see plenty of greater spotted woodpeckers, but not so many green ones. For our next walk, we're going to be heading to Kent, to the village of Ainsford. We're going to walk through there and do the Lullingston Loop down the River Darrant. It's a walk I've done a number of times this year but I'm really looking forward to seeing the woodland in autumn. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us out for a walk on all the usual places, Twitter, Instagram, etc. And we've got a Patreon, out for a walk. If you want to support us financially, you'll be getting bonus episodes, maps of where we've been walking for more details of exactly where we went, and just the warm feeling that you're knowing that you're supporting us doing this. And thank you again to Sarah Nichol for production on this podcast. Flor brani tomada stella, na faias de rumba placer. Oh.